Good morning. Morning, morning, morning. Man, I tell you, um, I, I love that song. I, I love that song. Uh, it is, it is a, a song that declares so much, you know. Uh, God's goodness is running after us, you know, and, and he's been faithful to us every day. This is not a good planet. I'm just saying, <laughs> just in case you're like, what? Like, it's not a good planet. Just because it, 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 well, you can't say that about this planet or about other humans. We are not that good to each other and this planet is not good to us. And so it is difficult, is it not, to sing that song sometimes and believe it. Because you're like, That's, I, I want to say he's never not been faithful, but it sure feels like he hasn't been faithful at times. Just saying. Or, or man, his goodness is running after me, but I, I, I don't know. It feels very, very far away right now. And what I love about that song is not that it feels totally real or totally obvious or totally like, yep, that's true. It's that it is true and that sometimes we'll only find that out down the road. I have this constant sense in me that one day I'm going to roll in to meet my Savior face to face and there's going to be some questions I have about some circumstances, you know, and I'm going to be like, okay, so I'm just saying, what about this? Where were you? And I feel like there's just going to be a whole lot of look right here. And I'm going to go, oh my gosh, I didn't know. Oh my gosh, I didn't know. Oh my gosh, I couldn't see. And he's going to go, I know. But my goodness was running after you nonetheless. He is good to us and his goodness we will not escape even if we think we are. So I know it doesn't always feel that way, but it's still absolutely true. And that's why I love that song. That has zero to do with my message. I just wanted to tell you guys that I totally love that song. And I know it's hard right now, so I just love when we get in, in, engaged in those spaces. So uh, speaking of the message, uh, we are in the book of Philippians. And the book of Philippians is a letter um, that Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, northern Macedonia, from Rome, because uh, he has gotten word from them that, that they are wrestling and struggling through some stuff in a very complicated cultural moment in their city and in their world, right? What I love about this letter in its tone is that the tone of the letter clues us in to the fact that this church is not a church that is really struggling to be faithful and struggling to even desire to be faithful. And that Paul is needing to write them to say, come on guys, come on. This is a church that's actually saying to Paul, man, we totally wanna be faithful. We totally wanna do this in a manner worthy of the gospel. We want to follow Jesus well. We want to represent the kingdom of God well. We want to engage well. We're just not quite sure what that looks like. So that's why Paul, when he writes, he starts this letter out with a whole lot of like, oh my gosh, I'm so grateful for you all. And I'm so thankful for our partnership in the gospel. Kind of this declaration, like I get what you're asking. You want to do this well. And I, Paul, want to help you do that by the power of the Spirit of God working through me. So what a beautiful letter, right? And, and, I, and I feel a bit like we're sort of in that boat, right? I mean, we're in a complex cultural situation, reality moment, world, planet, whatever you want to call it. And, and I think for most of us, we're like, gosh, I want to do it well. Like, I want to be faithful. I, I, want, to, I want to follow Jesus well. I, I want to represent Jesus well. I want to represent the gospel well. But it's sometimes a little difficult. So how do I do it? And what a beautiful letter to come our way and say, okay, here, here it is. So Paul, in this letter, 
uh, after he's sort of like, man, love that we're in partnership, love your heart, love what you want to do. He's now sort of saying, okay, so how do we do it? How do we engage in a way that is going to represent the kingdom of God well, represent our savior, Lord and King well, and, and, and live faithfully? And, and then he, he lays out this reality that isn't super complicated. He's not like, oh, it's very complicated. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write uh, volumes of things you have to do. He's like, it's really, really quite simple. Uh, very difficult, but quite simple. Here it is. Have your attitude be the same as Jesus's. Well, there it is. And really it is that simple, isn't it? I mean, really, it is actually that simple. Look at Jesus. Look at his life. Look at his way. Look at his attitude. Look at his heart. Look at his words. Look at his mind. Look at, look at everything. Look at his truth. Look at him. Look at him. And just do what he did and you will be living faithfully the realities of God's kingdom and the realities of his redemption, the realities of Jesus. So it's not complicated. Just live like he does. But it is incredibly difficult because to have that attitude, to engage with that sense that Jesus had feels in some ways impossible. It feels in some ways like that sounds great. I look to Jesus, but the gap between what and who he is and where I feel and find myself feels like a gap that is almost, if not impossible to bridge. And so I feel more inadequate to do that than adequate to do that. And then you say to me, I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit, which I am if I know Jesus and he is going to empower me to these things. But in terms of my personal experience, I'm still like, I hear you, but it still feels difficult, doesn't it? I mean, do you wake up in the morning like, oh, it's cakewalk. I look to Jesus. I see his attitude. I'm there. No, man, you like wake up and walk out your room, encounter another human and you're like, attitude gone. (laughs) So much for being like Jesus, right? It's just, it's hard. And that's in like the easy spaces of life. As life becomes more complicated, painful, difficult, as struggles become bigger, it gets harder. And so Paul's like, man, listen, have your attitude the same as Christ? Here's his attitude. He was not selfish. He was selfless. He thought of others more than himself, laid down his prerogatives for the sake of others, gave up his life for us and thinks about us ahead of himself, even though we ought to think about him ahead of anything. There it is. And then what seems to happen at this moment of sort of great, like, oh, Paul throws in on the end of that a quick little, you know, I might die for the gospel, but if I do, I'm good with that because I follow Jesus. And then right after that, it's like he has a moment in his head where he's like, oh, before I forget, I'm going to send Timothy to you and Epaphroditus. All right, back to Philippians. That's what it feels like a little bit. If you were here last week, you heard Danny say that. It feels like we're in a little passage here that feels like a logistical moment that Paul sort of was like, before I forget, better tell you now in the middle of an important moment of sacred scripture. Do you ever feel like you read certain passages and you're just like, I'm sure it's the Bible like everything else, but it doesn't feel as important. You know, I'm not memorizing that he's sending Timothy. I'm memorizing like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm not memorizing. I'm sending Timothy soon and I'll follow him right after. So it feels a bit like I just, you know, read it. So you say you have and then move on. 
We could not be more wrong if we think that Paul's intent and purpose of this little spe- space and passage is logistical. It's not. It happens to be some logistics about Timothy coming and hopefully Paul a little later and Epaphroditus coming, but the consequence of the logistics just happens to play into the purpose of the passage because he is saying they're coming. He did not write this section of scripture to say that they're coming. The reason he says they're coming is actually why he's writing it. And so we sort of delve in and see what is Paul up to. And then we discover that this little part of scripture perhaps should be memorized. Perhaps we should actually put it on our posters and go, if you're going to remember something, remember this because it's that important. What do you mean, Renaud? Well, as Paul, uh, as I have so often experienced him and other authors of scripture as they're writing their letters and you think about them writing to actual real people and thinking like actual real humans, he's writing this thing and I can imagine Paul just kind of going, Wow, I've just laid out for them the attitude of Jesus. It feels big even for me, Paul. Like I wanna, I wanna draw them in to something a little more closer to home. You know what I'm saying? You know when you tell something to do someone, someone to do something really big, and then you're like, what I'm trying to say, like think of it this way, and you want to sort of draw them in closer to home. So he starts like this: Look to Jesus. Have your attitude like His. All right, a little closer to home. Like think about me, Paul. Like I'm like you, I'm like a regular human like you and and I might actually be poured out as a drink offering and I might actually die and that's a really big deal and I'm feeling that in a big way, but it's okay because remember, who am I emulating? Jesus. So when you look to Jesus and it feels super big, look to me and it'll feel a little less big, a little less daunting, a little less. So he says things like this, follow me as I follow Jesus, right? So you see how Paul is moving us from exclusively like this giant leap to Jesus to like, there is that giant leap. That's what we're all striving for. But but start right here. Look to me, Paul. Uh, like you, I'm wrestling like you. I'm struggling like you, but I'm also striving to, to, to have the attitude of Christ like you. Follow me as I follow Christ. And then it's almost like Paul says, that's big. Like, you know, I'm still, I'm, I'm in prison here. I want to come visit you. I can't even come right now. You know what? You know what? Let's talk about Timothy. Timothy. Let's talk about Timothy. Timothy is like my disciple. So it doesn't feel as like daunting as Paul because it kind of feels a bit like this, right? Be like Jesus. No can do. Be like Paul. Still not there. You know what I'm saying? Like Paul, no. Then you like get to Timothy and you're like, oh, I think I can do Timothy. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like it feels a little closer to home, doesn't it? I mean, Timothy's like Paul's disciple. He's like, think about Timothy. What was Timothy's attitude? Well, and, and I, he's telling the church in, in Philippi. Remember, Timothy uh, has been working with me a long time. You, you know of him. You know of his reputation. And, and he could be striving for his own benefit, but he doesn't because he thinks of others ahead of himself. So you can go read about that. Danny preached about last weekend. Timothy thinks about others ahead of himself, but it's still disconnected ever so slightly from the church in Philippi because it's by reputation and by Paul telling them. So you've got, I'm going to die for Jesus. Be like me. I mean, have any of you recently thought to yourself, the likelihood that I'm going to lose my life as a martyr for Jesus here in America in the next week or two is high. Some of you are like, yeah. I'm like, your relationship's not that bad. I know, if you, but you're not, no, none of us are rolling around town 
thinking someone's actually going to like arrest us, crucify us and kill us for following Jesus. Uh, if you're thinking that you're over dramatic right now, just, I'm just throwing it out there. That's not going to happen. So that's kind of Paul, right? Wow. That's actually true for Paul. With Timothy, it's more like, okay, I can connect to that. But I, I, I love what Paul's doing in all of this is this is where the logistics coming. He's going like this, man, like look to me. That, that's a little easier and a good starting point. Actually, no, 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 no. Look to Timothy. Look to Timothy. Timothy is an easier starting point for you. As a matter of fact, forget me just telling you about him. I'm going to send him to you. I'm going to send him to you. I'm going to send Timothy uh, very soon. And I'm going to come right after Timothy as soon as I can, because I can't come right now. So look what Paul's doing. He's not just saying, I want you to look at these examples from a distance. He's saying, I'm going to send these people I'm telling you to look to, to where? To you, to you. Because as a people, when we are trying to follow Jesus and we are looking to others who are following Jesus, whose attitudes look a bit more like Jesus in certain areas than maybe ours does, or ours looks a bit more like Jesus in certain areas maybe than theirs does, we look to each other. And so Paul says, it, it matters that I don't just tell you about myself or tell you about Timothy, but I send them to you so that you can actually be with them because in the being with each other, we stir each other up into the space of being more like Jesus. It matters that we're together. You don't make it holding onto the confession of your faith in a powerful and consistent way without the others who are following Jesus. This is a story of scripture from start to finish. Do this alone and you don't make it. Do this together, and God designed it that way. So you see what, see what Paul's up to? And now, now he goes like this. Timothy, Timothy. Okay, Timothy's better than Paul as far as getting closer to home, but why not go all the way and give you an example that's like right the next door neighbor? You know what I'm saying? Like, forget Timothy who has a reputation. I'm sending someone else your way that you're just gonna be like, what? We love him. I mean, we kind of know Timothy. We love you, Paul, but we love him. Let's take a look. Grab your Bibles and turn with me uh, to the book of Philippians. If you have your little notebooks with you, uh, the Philippian notebooks, feel free to pull that out now because we're about to jump in and work our way through this beautiful section of scripture. So Philippians chapter two, verse 25. Uh, he's just come out of Timothy's example, and that Timothy's going to come at some point soon, and that Paul will follow soon after, if possible. And then he says this in verse 25, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus. Now, when I say Epaphroditus, you might, like me, when I initially read it, be thinking to yourself, oh, I remember him. Paul's friends with this guy. Remember Epaphras, who is from Ephesus? Uh, who was part of the leadership in the Ephesian church uh, when Tychicus took the letter to Ephesus and to Colossae. Remember? Uh, do you remember him? You're all like, I don't remember. Well, I remember him because he was a friend of mine. I spent a lot of time with him, okay? In scripture. So Epaphras is a different dude than Epaphroditus. Two different people. Epaphras is from Ephesus. Epaphroditus is from Philippi. Epaphroditus came from Philippi to Paul to bring something to Paul and to ask Paul for advice for the Philippian church. Epaphroditus is a leader in the Philippian church, probably a deacon, and Epaphroditus is someone that's super dear to the Philippian church. They know him well. So look what Paul's doing. Paul starts with himself, 
hey, look to me, I might lose my life. And that's okay, because that's what it means to be like Jesus, be willing to lose your life for the sake of the gospel. Well, that's still big. Timothy isn't selfish. There it is. He doesn't think about himself. That's like Jesus. Look to him. And and by the way, I'll send him to you. Wait for it. Wait for it. Epaphroditus. You all know Epaphroditus super well. In fact, it is urgent that I send him to you right away. I, I feel it necessary to send him right away. So notice Paul is coming at some point. Timothy, he's sending soon. Epaphroditus is coming when? Right now, probably with this letter, right? I just, I'm, it's urgent. I'm sending him now. I find it what? What does Paul say? Necessary. Listen, there's a couple of things that we can pull from this beautiful sacred portion of scripture and Paul's intent here. But one of the things that is absolutely part of Paul's intent and part of Paul's writing this part logistically is to say, if you as a people who follow Jesus are going to be able to fulfill this giant call to have your attitudes be the same as Jesus, you're gonna need some people like you to follow. And I'm gonna send them to you because proximity matters. Togetherness matters. That's why the author of Hebrews writes to the church a little later on. And at that point is kind of going, oh my gosh, if we ever think that proximity doesn't matter and that gathering and being together doesn't matter, we need to understand actually how urgent it is that we have each other to look to, to draw inspiration from when we see things in each other that look like Jesus. Because you will see things in me that look like Jesus that don't look like things in you. And I will see things in you that look like Jesus that don't yet look like things in me. And we draw from each other. And, and, and Paul says, I'm sending them because you need them if you're going to do this. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says. In Hebrews chapter 10, uh, this is what he says. I know you've memorized this already, so I don't have to read it to you. But just in case one or two of you haven't memorized Hebrews 10, 19, um, I'll read it to you. That way you can kind of like, oh yeah, I, I got it. Okay, here we go. Just kidding. It's a joke. You're like, what? I was supposed to memorize that? No, not really. Here we go. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with the true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You're like, I don't understand. How's that relating to Philippians? Not quite yet. That is the author of Hebrews saying this. How how accessible is God to you now? Totally. Is there a curtain that separates the Holy of Holies from us? And you'll die if you go near him. No, that's been taken care of. Is your heart still full of sin? And you'll die when you, nope, that's been taken care of. He's redeemed us so that we have freedom to access God freely at any time. So if you didn't have access to the creator and sustainer of the universe, and suddenly you do, what might be a good idea? Get real close to him all the time as much as possible. And that's what he's saying. Man, let's go to him now. Let's go to him. But now watch what happens. So there it is. You've been redeemed. Go to God regularly. Now watch what the author of Hebrews does. He makes an assumption about our consistency and ability to go to God regularly, no matter how 
crazy it would be that we don't, we have a propensity not to. You with me so far? So he's like, okay, if you're going to do this, watch what he says very next verse. He just said, go to him. You have access. Verse, uh, the, the very next verse, verse 23. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. So he's like, hold fast to your faith. Hold fast to what you know to be true. Do not waver. Do not let it go. Watch this now. Watch this now. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as the day draws near, the day of Christ. So here's what the author of Hebrews is saying. If you and I, as followers of Jesus, want to consistently have the attitude that is like Jesus so that we can demonstrate that we follow him and be ambassadors of Christ and his kingdom, then we better do it together. And we better be in it together. And we better look to each other to grow and learn and shape. And we better be influencing others. So what he's saying is this, you, you who follow Jesus, please Follow him as well as you can because what's happening? People are watching you. FYI, I'm watching you. You're like, oh my gosh, was that like a Renault's watching me? Where is he? No, 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 no. Not Renault the pastor watching you like a policeman. Renault the follower of Jesus needing inspiration from you as I watch the moments where your attitude is like Jesus's and I gain inspiration from that. When you press into hard spaces and you choose things that the world says bail, but you stay because Jesus says stay, or you choose things that are hard because Jesus calls you into them, or you choose to press on or press through, I'm watching and I need you. And guess what? I know you're watching me and you need me. And so Paul's saying, let's do this together. And I'm sending you Epaphroditus so you can be watching him. It's, it's, it's urgent. Now, Paul's urgency to send Epaphroditus was beyond simply just the idea that they need Epaphroditus. It's also actually that there were some circumstances that help us understand Epaphroditus and who he is and why he is the ideal candidate for Paul to send back to the church in Philippi to say, if there's anyone that you can look to as a regular Philippian, that you can say, I don't have to launch to the attitude of Christ as a starting point because that feels so big. I can start with Epaphroditus. He's like a regular dude in our regular church doing regular stuff. And I can look to him and I can see him and then he follows Jesus and then I follow Jesus. And Paul's like, do you want to know why he's the perfect candidate? And in this, there is such beauty. Now we don't get to meet Epaphroditus like in person because he's dead, just in case you were like, is he still here? No, this was a long, long time ago. But we do get to meet him in some ways, don't we? Because Paul bothered to write some about him. And so we have a bit to pull from to say, oh, this is the man he was. Listen, he says this, I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. So he goes through three sequences here that kind of set us up to go, oh my goodness, this is quite a guy. I mean, if there's a guy that you want to roll into your church, that's part of your church that he's sending back, this could be that guy. Why? Because this guy, here's Paul's attitude toward this guy. He is not just a brother. He's a brother first, because that is the starting point of all of our relational dynamics as those who follow Jesus. What do we start with? Siblings, right? 
We're not just co-workers. We're not just soldiers in battle together. We are siblings, brothers and sisters. So if you start going like, you gotta go, oh, well, hold on, hold on, family. Family, we gotta roll family. Doesn't mean we don't fight, just means we're family and we gotta fight through it. So Epaphras, uh, Epaphroditus is my brother, but he's more than just my brother as in like, he's a good brother. He's also something else. He's my fellow worker. What an incredible statement for Paul to make. Here's what he's saying. Church in Philippi, you certainly know me. You certainly love me. You certainly honor me and understand the work I'm doing because you sent resources with Epaphroditus. You with me? So when you're sending resources across the known world to somebody, do you believe in their work, their mission, their calling? That would be good. Well done. Thank you. Six of you were right on it, right? Yes. Like even now when we can wire it in three seconds, we do a bunch of research because we're like, I'm not sure I want to believe. So Paul's like, you know the work I do. Clearly you're behind that. Guess what, guess what Epaphroditus is? Coworker, right beside me, doing the same work. It is equal. If you honor me for the calling that God has on my life and the work I'm doing for the kingdom, then you honor him because he is my co-laborer, my co-worker. But more than a co-worker, look what he does next. He goes, he's not just a co-worker, like he's a brother that works with me. He's a He's a fellow soldier. Now what kind of a world have we entered into? Not just the workplace, but the war zone. So watch this. He's family. We know that. He's, he's a co-worker in my workplace. Workplaces can be a little rough, but they're generally not like shooting bullets at you, right? When you get to war zone, you're like, whoa, different. Oh, he's my fellow soldier, my fellow strategist, my fellow comrade, my fellow commander, my fellow my fellow officer, he's with me in the war. That's what Paul's saying. So you've already got a picture of Epaphroditus, don't you? This dude's awesome. He must do awesome stuff. Unbelievable. And then look what Paul says. And you have a relationship with him as well that has already demonstrated how, how you think of him and how his faithfulness has played out in your context. In Philippi, look what he says. He says, and you... Uh, and your messenger and minister of my needs. These two words seem like nothing, don't they? He's your messenger and minister. And you're like, oh, that makes sense. He came to talk to Paul and he's meeting some of his needs. That makes him a messenger and a minister. But when you go back into the Greek language and you see the words Paul is using here, you're like, oh, Paul's up to something more. Paul's up to something more. He didn't just say he's a messenger and, and a minister and he came to me. He's using these two powerful words to bring into being the reality that Epaphroditus stands beside Paul as a minister of the gospel in a powerful way. And then if you're gonna follow someone, you don't have to say this, gosh, I wish Paul would come because then we could follow Jesus well, but I guess we'll settle for Epaphroditus. No, he's like Epaphroditus is actually the one to follow because he's my brother, my coworker, my co-soldier, and he's your messenger and minister, messenger and minister. The word for messenger, translated from the Greek, is the same root word for apostle. What is an apostle? Not a trick question. A messenger. A messenger, right? A messenger from God, sent, or from someone, sent to another. I'm sending my apostle to you, my messenger to you, interchangeable. 
So here Paul uses the language apostle, not as the, as the office of apostleship like Paul has that allows him because he was with Jesus to have the ability to write sacred scriptures and do other uh, uh, apostolic um, position things, but that he's saying, just as I am an apostle sent from God to do work, you sent your apostle to me to come and send good messages to me, encouragement to me, bring God's uh, love and comfort to me. So, so what has he just done with Epaphroditus? He's brought him right up. He's like, he's, he's like, he's a messenger like me. And then here's the other word he used, minister. So in the, in the Greek culture, this word that is translated here into minister is a word that was used in the Greek culture a lot. When a person in a Greek city or town was incredibly philanthropic, they would take their time, energy, and resources, and at cost to themselves, at personal cost, they would do things that would benefit the city. They were called a minister, this word, right? So in, in the Greek cities, Greek cities had a tremendous amount of pride, and, and most Greek cities had their own soldiers and their own philanthropists or their own ministers. You with me? So for example, you know the 300 story? You, like, you don't hear them say this. Like, you know, when you watch those, those documentaries and movies, and you're like, we are Greece. Have you ever heard that? No, you're like, we are Sparta. You're like, I don't understand. You're like the Greek army. No, we're not. We're part of the Greek army, but not kind of really. We're kind of really Sparta. See, in the Greek culture, the, the city mattered. The pride was in the city, not in the whole. And they're like here. And so the philanthropist of that city mattered and they were called the minister of the city. Isn't that awesome? So look at the language Paul's using. Epaphroditus is the apostle you sent to me. And he is the philanthropist, the minister, the at his own personal cost comes to me to care for me and in so doing cares for you person. Like, are you loving Epaphroditus so far? I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to know him more. Oh, we're not done. Look at this. Look at this. And... He, Epaphroditus, has been longing for you all and has been distressed. Oh gosh. So the urgency to send him back to Philippi has more to do than just you need to hit him to follow. There's something going on in Epaphroditus that he's like, I'm, I'm just, I'm feeling heavy for you all. I'm, I'm concerned for you all uh, because you have distress and I want to come comfort your distress. So what distress did the people of Philippi have that Epaphroditus had heard about that he's like, oh my gosh, I'm so, I want to get home so I can comfort you all. Take a look at this. This is so crazy. Okay, look at this. Um, he had heard that you were distressed because you heard that he was ill. Did you catch that? Paul's saying this, Epaphroditus is super, super anxious to get home and super concerned about you because he knows you're heavy hearted because you heard he was gonna die. If you're super sick and you're super ill and people are concerned for you, it, it, it kind of says a lot when, you, when, when Paul's big statement is, gosh, he's so concerned about you while being concerned about him. Like he feels your weightiness and he wants to come comfort you. I kind of want to say to Epaphroditus, it's okay, brother. When you're sick enough that you're dying, like let like them being concerned, you you just you just receive it. And he's like, no, I do, but like that's how much I think of others ahead of myself. Do you see what Paul's doing here? It's beautiful. Paul's going, this is the guy, and look at his attitude. When he was practically dying and he heard you heard and he heard you were sad, he was sad for you. And he wants to get home to comfort you so you can see he's he's good now. So how sick was he? Like, did he have a cold? 
And he was like, I, I heard you were sick. Yeah, I was, a little, I was a little under the weather, but I'm good now. No, 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 no. Look what it says. Indeed, he was ill. Now, remember, he's likely going back with this letter. So it's kind of weird. It's like Paul's like, just in case you think Epaphroditus is exaggerating how bad it was. Oh, no, he was very sick. Very, very sick. In fact, so sick that he was near to death. But God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. This is a quick little side note. It's unimportant to the message, but I get to do this because I'm the one on the stage talking right now and you don't get to stop me. So, um, uh, but it is, a, it is a fascinating side note for me because we are so formulaic in our thinking often. We're looking for formulas where we can get what we need from God and he'll do what we want. And so when it comes to things like healing, isn't it interesting to you that Paul was one of those guys that the scripture actually says, like he would touch a cloth and then the cloth would go to someone and touch them and they'd be healed. That's the kind of power that God was moving through these men. Peter would walk and his shadow would touch someone that was sick and they'd be healed, right? So Paul is quite used to being in a reality where when he says, uh, God, can you please make this person well? Boom, like that, right? And look what happened to Paul with Epaphroditus, someone he cares a great deal about. He's like, man, we were all super worried. Like I begged God for, and then, and then he recovered. Thank goodness God was merciful to him, but also to me because I was so anxious and I didn't know what to do. And I didn't want him to die because if he died, then it would kind of feel like it's on me because he came here for me on your behalf. And then you'll never see him again. And then you'll be super sad. And then I, <laughs> and God saved me from all of those horrid weightinesses and God saved him from dying. And so Paul's kind of saying, man, I'm super glad he didn't die. For, for his sake, certainly, so that he can continue to work on this planet. But uh, Paul's the one that would say what? To die is gain, to live is Christ. So he's like, but man, God saved me sorrow upon sorrow. And so I, this is what Paul's saying. I can't wait to send him back so that you can rejoice with him that he is well and so that he can become a part of how you accomplish the great call of having your attitude be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now look what Paul says next. I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may have less anxiety. I do love that in the same letter that Paul is going to write later on, be anxious for nothing, Paul also admits in that same letter, I was super anxious about Epaphrodite. Don't you love that? Come on, people. Don't you love that the guy writing, don't be anxious about anything, just said, I was super anxious about that, though. What this, what this does for us constantly is says, we are all following Jesus together, but we get to look to each other in our imperfection and struggle to extract inspiration from the moments when we get it right and I'm getting it wrong and I can look to you. This whole passage is constantly bending back toward, look to Jesus and follow him. Start here, follow me as I follow Christ, which means we better be in this together and we better do that a lot. Okay. Here we go. Almost done. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. This is a pivotal statement in this little passage. He's just laid Epaphroditus out to them. He shared with them what he's done, that he came on their behalf to Paul and that he almost died coming. And look what Paul says, honor such men for he nearly died for the work of Christ, 
risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So look what Paul just did. This is so crazy. And you're going to see how big this becomes in a second. He's like, why should you honor Epaphroditus? Despite everything I've already told you about him, because when you asked him to come to me to carry this money to me, he completed the desire you had to serve me, which was lacking beforehand because you couldn't get to me. And he risked his life doing it, risking his life for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of me, for the sake of you. Boy, we should honor him. That's incredible. Makes sense, right? So, so we have this beautiful example in Epaphroditus that his attitude was this simple attitude of faithfulness, engaging in the great work of carrying this to Paul. And he almost died doing it. And he's a faithful servant to Paul with Paul, a faithful, faithful soldier. His attitude is like Jesus because instead of being concerned about himself and his illness, he was concerned about those who were concerned about him. Wow, beautiful. But then there is this almost accidental, beautiful consequence of something Paul is saying in this passage that I don't think was necessarily his purpose to say this, but it is by its definition what bleeds out of this passage. Let's be honest for a second. Can we talk about Epaphroditus for a second? I mean, how awesome, courageous really was he, right? I mean, how big was the thing he did? He was, he was at the church in Philippi, right? And they were like, we got to get some money to Paul. We really want to help him out. We need somebody to go in Epaphroditus. Like, I'll do it. And they're like, oh, that'd be awesome, man. Travel from Philippi to the big city, Rome. Give the money to Paul. Hang out there for a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months. Help Paul out with whatever he needs help with and come on back. Does that sound giant to you? Does that sound like, uh, we want you to go to the war zone, front lines, and, and do super big things there, and then come back risking your life? Do you think Epaphroditus actually thought to himself when he was in Philippi, oh my gosh, this is like a life-threatening, risky endeavor? See, Paul didn't say on his way down, he went through the most dangerous road in the known world during that time because it was the only way to get to me, but he was courageous and did it anyway. And then he got robbed on that road and almost killed. And so he risked his life for me. Then we would all say, yeah, he risked his life. But this is what Paul's actually, he took the money and brought it to me on the way he got sick. Let's honor him because he risked his life and almost died for the sake of the gospel. And I kind of feel just a little bit, just to be honest, I'm like, I don't think he actually totally did. And then he just kind of got sick and that just kind of happened. And, and now we're like, oh, let's honor him. Because you see, the way I think, the way we think, is that we look to the way that this planet communicates to us, that to honor someone for doing big and giant things, they actually have to do big and giant things. You know what I'm saying? Like right now, there's people in the, uh, in the surrounding countries around the Ukraine. And they're friends of mine and they're moving in and out of the Ukraine with trucks with food on it. And then they're rescuing people out of the Ukraine and bringing them back. And I'm in, in touch with them and it's, there's big things happening there. And, 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 and they're like shaping the world. And we're all like sitting here like, oh, we're in church on Sunday. It's so cool. And then in the meantime, while we're here today, there's like these giant stories unfolding. So yesterday I'm on the phone with my friend Craig, who's in Poland right now. And he's going back and forth across the border. And it's, it's pretty dangerous. I'll tell you, I mean, like, life risking certainly would be a part of, I mean, it's a war zone. They're actually still at war, right? It hasn't ended, okay? So I'm talking to Craig and I'm like, hey, what can we do? And he's like, hey man, I could use a wingman. You know what that means, right? Come here, Renault, come and join me. And then we'll go back and forth across the border together. And do you know what happens in me when that invitation's laid on the table? I'm like, oh my gosh, I gotta go. Like, I mean, who wouldn't want to be part of those stories? You know what I'm saying? I, get, I could be here and like, I don't know, be here and hang out and preach and 
go to a soccer game and do that, or I could be in Poland, like racing across the border in a big truck with a beard pasted to my face, trying to look like a Polish dude. And like with a false passport to try to get food across the border, wondering if they find me, if they're going to kill me. And something in me goes, that's it. Paul went from place to place shipwrecked and snake bitten and persecuted and stoned. The apostle of apostles. That's why we honor him. That's why we send our resources to him. Because dude, that's a story. And then Paul goes like this. Here's Epaphroditus. His story is the same as my story. You should honor him the same as you honor me. He risked his life the same as I do. And we go, what? Yesterday when Craig asked me that, um, the way I said it to him was, dude, I'd love to come, but I can't right now. There's a lot going on here. Here's what was going on inside of my heart because I'd actually already studied this FYI, study ahead of Sundays. And then I generally am ahead of you guys. So this was already in my mind. And, and I remember it was this beautiful moment where God was just like, hey, Renault." What's more faithful? What, what's more powerful? What's to be more honored in the ability to demonstrate the gospel? The big giant stories where you're racing across dangerous spaces or waking up and being faithful by going to your kid's soccer game, showing up at church and preaching, serving in the lobby, putting donuts out, just being faithful day in and day out to the little things. See, in God's kingdom, the backbone of Christianity isn't racing trucks over a border in a war zone. The backbone of Christianity is being faithful right here every day, every single day, because that's most of your life. Most of you, as was true for me, will have very few opportunities to be part of what the world says is big giant stories. And God's big giant story for you is just be faithful right here every day. And that is what Epaphroditus did. And that should be honored. That should be honored because that's what it means to follow Jesus. The long obedience that sits before us that we walk every single day in the same direction is what he says makes Epaphroditus the same as Paul. And so I would offer to you this, that for us, you and me as followers of Jesus, to say in this complicated culture of ours, how on earth do we manage to make a dent, make a difference, show the world Jesus, do this well? I would say two things to you. Keep it super, super simple and just be faithful today in the little things because that's the backbone of all of this. And make sure you do it together with a few others who are following Jesus or a bunch of others who are following Jesus. Do not neglect getting, getting together regularly with those who follow Jesus because you need to inspire them and they need to inspire you. Because when we look to Jesus, it's beautiful, but it's a lot. When we look to Jesus in each other, it's a little less a lot. And it gives us a little more room to move. And then in the hard and difficult journeys that loom before us, that feel impossible to us, that we cannot overcome alone, it is those around us that one teeny tiny step at a time journey with us, carry us, as they have and will carry you when time serves well. What a beautiful opportunity the scripture gives us, defying our cultural context that says, look to be bigger, look to be better, look to be more important. And it says this, just look to be ordinary, regular, faithful. And you are worthy of honor because when you are regular, faithful, and we honor you, we honor who? 
Jesus. Because we're like, look, there's someone who follows Jesus well in the little mundane, ordinary things, getting some money, rolling to Paul, getting sick on the way. That is a big deal. Let's be faithful in the little things and together he will make that a big deal in his kingdom. Let's pray. God, thank you for this incredible little section of scripture that at first glance probably seems a little less uh, important than some of the other important scriptures. A a little more logistical, a little more ordinary, a little more, hey, Timothy's coming, and by the way, Epaphroditus is coming with him. But I thank you, God, as you always do, that you demonstrate to us that there is no word, no letter, no sentence in your scripture that is not as sacred as the next, as important as the next. That everything you have done through those authoring scripture by the power of your spirit, you have done with intent to show us great and unsearchable things we do not know. And today we stand in awe of you, knowing that as we consider your faithfulness to us, Jesus, we are moved to a place of desiring to be faithful to you. And I thank you that you have shown us that to do that, we just need to have an attitude that each day strives to be a little more like yours and that we need each other to be able to pull that off because you work in us by your spirit and through us by your spirit for each other. Make us a church, a people that are faithful in the everyday, ordinary, mundane spaces of life more than we seek to try to find the big grand moments when we can prove to you how awesome we are. God, that long obedience in the same direction, take us there so that we might make you known to each other and to the world through our everyday, ordinary faithfulness. We love you, Jesus. Amen.